We're going to dive in. This is a really important Sunday for our house and all of our services. Um, but before we get there, a couple things. And this may seem far away to you. It's not. On April 1st is Easter. And so we've got six services coming up. And all of this information is going to be available on our website. And we're going to talk a lot more about this. But I want you to just start thinking Start praying. One of the things we, we ask you to pray about is 30 seconds of courage to just invite somebody on that weekend. And what you'll also hear a lot about is we want as many of you as possible who are a part of our gathering to, if you can, attend a Saturday service and free up space. This is probably the last big Sunday we'll have on this campus um, just because we have to keep adding services. This year we added one more Sunday service, which is going to help us with space issues. But on Saturday night at four and six, we have an Easter egg hunt in between. And so if you have kids, that's a great place to go and invite friends and free up some space on Sunday. But we just want you to begin to pray about and think about what God would have you to do and who he would have you to invite this Easter that may change everything for somebody. Second thing is next week, we begin a brand new series called How to Neighbor. And I'm not overstating this to say, I think this is one of the most important series that we have ever done as a church. And so I want to encourage you to be here, um, to encourage somebody else who hasn't been here or on a, for a while, or maybe they're on the once every six week schedule to be here for this series. And this, despite the fact that we're talking about how to neighbor, it's a great time to invite a neighbor. And so next week, that all gets started and you really need to be here. All right. So with all that said, let me dive into where we're going to go today. Kind of quick question, do you wish that at certain points you could kind of pull back and just find purpose or connect the dots with all of the random things in your life? Like all of the things where you can't really figure out what's going on and you don't know if it's leading anywhere, but if there was some way where you could connect the dots and find purpose out of it. Like maybe the fact that you didn't get the scholarship and right now with where you're at in your life, that's devastating. And don't you wish that there was some way you could look into that and find purpose and see that not getting that scholarship, as devastating as that is right now, is going to lead you to another city you never would have gone to, and you're going to meet him or meet her, and you're going to develop or a passion is going to be sparked in you that you wouldn't have discovered otherwise. But on the front end right now, there's no way for you to connect any of those dots. But if you had the ability to just see purpose, or maybe you're in a place right now where you've had a husband walk out on you. Or you've had a wife walk out on you, and you would never choose that experience. And it's been one of the heart, most heart-wrenching experiences of your life. If there was some way, even though you would never choose it, if you could connect some dots and see some kind of purpose in that, then maybe the, the parent that you are right now, the relationship that you have with your kids right now, the level of peace that you've been able to discover in your life. Again, you'd never choose it, but you never would have experienced that. Some of those things never would have happened the way that they've happened if that incident wouldn't have happened. And don't you wish that somehow, some way, you could on the front end connect some of those dots? Or maybe you're in a place right now where you are, you're working in some kind of job or some kind of environment where you are just grinding every single week. And it's not really your dream. And it's not where you want to be. And don't you wish that there was some way that you could see that the fact of what you're going through right now, the skills that are being developed are going to serve you well with something later on down the road that is not even on your radar right now? And by the way, the guy that's three cubicles down for you that's never going to tell you has been profoundly impacted by your example and what you have done and the example that you set during this season. And like, if you could connect the dots, you'd know that, but you have no ability to connect the dots. And isn't it crazy, even if you're not a Jesus follower, even if you're still trying to figure out this whole is Jesus legit thing, there is something in us that wants to find purpose even in randomness. There's something in us that wants everything to matter. And in fact, on the other side of it, there's certain dots you don't want to connect. Like, I don't want to know that that blow up is the thing that's going to connect to my kid's therapy session in another decade. I would just rather be naive to that. I know it's going to happen but I don't want to know when it happens. Or the fact that I said no to that is going to lead to some regret later on down the road, and, but I don't really want to connect those dots. And my only point is just this. Good or bad, we don't, in many cases, really ever know fully what hangs in the balance. We don't fully know what hangs in the balance of a decision, a circumstance, or something going on in this season of our life. But here's the thing that I know. 
We hope there's purpose. We hope it's going somewhere. We hope that somebody's connecting the dots even when we're not able or have the ability to connect the dots. And here's the big idea. If you're a follower of Jesus or if you're investigating following Jesus, we believe that there is purpose. And it's not because we're trying to be a PR manager for God because of all those things. We're like, man, if there is a God, why didn't he step in? Why did he allow this to happen? Why didn't God do more? Why didn't God intervene? It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with us simply trying to make ourselves feel better. Though it is a part of, like if you're a Jesus follower, it is a part of walking by faith. It is a part of living by faith, but not faith in faith. One of the big misconceptions about Christianity or following Jesus is just simply, you need to have more faith. Like it's faith in faith. And here's what I tell you, like right now, even in my own life, there are several things going on where I look at them and from a specific perspective, I go, God, I have no idea what you're doing. I have no idea what your purpose in this could be. I have no idea where this ultimately is going to end up. And somebody, somebody coming to me going, you just need to have more faith is, I mean, I just want to punch them. And not really punch them, I'm a slap and run guy, but slap them and run. Because like that's not helping me. Because following Jesus has never been about faith in faith. It has everything to do with faith in an event that gives us every reason to believe that there is purpose. And the event is this, the resurrection. That the event that validated everything that Jesus said about his life and everything that Jesus said about life. And Jesus showed up on the planet, and here's what he said about life. Like, you live in a world that is broken by sin. Systems are broken, relationships are broken, your inner person is broken. Everything is broken, and everything is infested by sin. But here's the promise, it's why I'm showing up to planet Earth, is that I can and will work purpose out of anything. And in fact, I will take the randomness of your life and I can take that randomness and I can connect the dots in a way that you could never realize, in a way that you could never understand. And I will work purpose out of that for your good and ultimately for my glory. Jesus is like, it's the reason that I'm here. And then he died. And Jesus' followers, on the weekend that he died, had all of their hopes and dreams about the fact that really maybe he could bring purpose out of anything and maybe he could make sense out of the randomness of their life and maybe he could connect the dots. But after his death, all of that was dead. And on that weekend, they weren't connecting any dots. There was no purpose. There was no reason to move forward. There was no reason to take another step. And then after the resurrection, at the end of Easter weekend, everything changed. Because the moment that Jesus walked out of a grave, it means he validated everything he said about his life, and it means he validated everything that he said about life. That at the moment he walked out, it meant that sin really is defeated and overcome, and we can have freedom. It means that death ultimately is going to be overcome, that death was defeated. And it means that the moment he walked out of the grave alive, that everything he said about life was true, that I will work work, purpose out of anything in your life, no matter how random it seems to you, I'm connecting the dots. And before Easter weekend, there was no reason to believe that. After Easter weekend and Jesus walked out of a grave alive, it gave them every reason to believe that. But on the weekend of his death, nobody was connecting those dots. Everybody thought it was over. Everybody drew the conclusion that there is no purpose. And then after the resurrection, it changed everything. My, my point is just this. You have every reason to believe, not because of faith in faith, but faith in an event. You have every reason to believe that what Jesus did through his resurrection is the thing that makes sense of and permeates every arena and every avenue of our life. Because when he died, it was the darkest moment for his followers. Several days later, when he walked out of a grave alive, it became the greatest triumph in history. And you have every reason to believe that even in the randomness and even when you cannot connect the dots because you have no ability and I have no ability, that God is connecting the dots, that there is purpose, that it is going somewhere. And even in the randomness, God can work something for your good and for his glory. 
It's why, and this is what I want to talk about today, it's why when Jesus stood on a hillside with not a lot of people, I mean, way less than we'll see in our services today, like maybe 120 people on a hillside, it's why they believed him when Jesus said right after his resurrection and right before his ascension that, listen, you guys are going to play a part in part of your purpose in all of the randomness of what is happening in Rome right now. Part of your purpose is to be a part of this new thing that I'm going to launch called the church. It's going to be just a movement of people. The Greek word ekklesia, it's going to be a gathering that moves out and then gathers together for worship. And it is going to be my vehicle for you to let people know what has happened in history. For you to let people know that there is something new. That there is something that changes the game. It's going to be a part of what I've called you to do in your generation and for subsequent generations. And, And they just believed him standing on a hillside when he's like, hey, listen, you 120 people, if you move forward and are faithful to what I'm calling you to, if you play your part well, if you engage, you're going to change the world. And 120 people with no education and no influence and no political you know, platform whatsoever, in the back of their minds, though they never tell Jesus this, they had to have been thinking, are you sure? Like, are, are you sure are you absolutely, I know you just rose from the grave, but are you absolutely confident of this? You're like, yeah, when you play your part, when you engage, it's part of your purpose. And it's part of my purpose for subsequent generations. This is going to change the world as you move out and let people know what has happened that changes everything. And so listen, as you are faithful, even when you don't see how the dots connect, even when it doesn't seem like it matters, even when it seems insignificant, when you're huddled together in Ephesus and you're with about 12 people and you're scared for your life, I just want you to trust me. When you're huddled together in Corinth and there's like 17 of you and nobody's listening because Corinth is absolutely out of control and you're thinking, there is no way this little group is going to change the world. When you're huddled together as a house church under Roman oppression with them breathing down your necks and there's still maybe now 150 of you but you're scattered everywhere and you're tempted to doubt, is there any way that this is going to move forward? You just need to know, I'm going to connect the dots. I am going to do something. It's part of your purpose. It is part of my purpose to move this thing forward and it's going to work. And they just believed him. And they had no reason to believe him. And this is always so profoundly just mind-blowing to me. It may not be to you, but 2,000 years later, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. This 120 people in little places of Ephesus and Corinth and, and Rome huddled together with no influence from that promise on a hillside, Jesus going, listen, it's going to seem like it's not working. There's times when it's going to seem insignificant, but I'm going to use it. It's part of my purpose. Just be faithful. Just trust me. It's going somewhere. I will connect the dots. And they just believed him. And they weren't afraid of death because they served a resurrected Savior. And they weren't afraid of what people were thinking about them at the local coffee shops because they served a resurrected Savior and they just believed him. And the movement began to move. And 2,000 years later, you should spend some time studying history. How in the world are we here? And so here's what I want to do today for a few minutes is I I just want to connect some dots for you. but, But here's the thing. I can't connect all the dots for you. I have no idea what God's doing in your marriage. I have no idea what God's doing with that job thing where you're just grinding and there's no recognition. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the financial situation that you can't seem to get a hold of. I don't know. I don't know what God's doing with your adult kid. What I do know is because of this, that God is still in control. God is still working and God can connect the dots of some of that randomness, but I can't do it for you. But what I do want to connect the dots for is around your specific role and the part that you play as part of this movement, and it really is a movement, known as the church, and the fact that what you do, it matters. That even when you can't connect the dots, even when you don't see it, even when it seems really, really insignificant, and that's kind of a a lot of where I think a lot of us are at, it, it matters. It has an impact. And we are stewards of this message. 
We are stewards of what this message means. And we are the vehicle, not just as we go and spread, but as we gather and worship. We are the stewards for that message. So here's what I want to do, and I want to just give you a heads up on the front end because you probably have so much baggage um, with guys like me standing on stages like this. So I don't want you to accuse me of being shady. So what I want you to do, all my cards on the table, I want every single one of you who are a follower of Jesus, in some ways you are connected to our gathering, our house, our family, that you're part of this thing. I want you to step, step up and I want you to serve somewhere within the local church or somewhere within your local church if you're listening to me somewhere. I, I want you to step up and I want you to serve. So that's my agenda and I do have an agenda. And it's so easy, I get the pushback, it's so easy to think it's insignificant. It's so easy to think, well, anybody can do that. It's so easy to think, I, I don't know how much ultimately that's going to impact or that's going to matter. I'm not even sure we should be doing this. I mean, whatever your excuses are, it's so easy to marginalize. But I don't think, I don't think you really know what hangs in the balance. I, I think for a lot of us in church world, in many cases, I think we've connected the wrong dots. And so I just want to connect a couple dots for you real quick. And I'll land this plane and then I'll, I'll let Jesus do whatever he wants to do today. But in the book of Acts is the most powerful example of this. Acts chapter 6. Acts is like the 30-year history right after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven and made this crazy promise that I'm going to build a movement out of you guys. This is the 30-year history of this new movement, these ecclesias, the church, from about eh, 33 AD to about 64 to 66 AD. And, and it records as this thing begins to go after Jesus and they take the message forward. And in this specific, specific passage I want to look at in Acts chapter 6, it gives us incredible insight that I think we often miss in terms of what is at stake it connects some dots, not just for those first century individuals within weeks and months of Jesus ascending back into heaven, but for all of us through all of the generations. And so in Acts 6, it kind of answers the question, hey, when it seems insignificant and you don't think it matters that much, and in kind of our cultural mindset of 2018 and Western world, which doesn't tend to work in most of the rest of the world, but it matters. It's significant. It, and I want to connect the dots for you. Here's where the story picks up. If you've got your CC app, you can go to media, sermon resources, and look at this. And there's even notes to follow along with. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, this specific incident in the life of these new churches getting started, and this one in particular, um, launches this way. In those days when the number of disciples, followers of Jesus, was increasing... So this is right after Jesus makes the promise. And then there's that famous line, hey, you guys are going to go forward. You're going to be this movement called the church, and the gates of hell are not going to be able to stop it. Literally, it just meant the gates of death is not going to be able to stop it. Not my death, Jesus would say, not your death, not anybody's death, no empire, not Rome. Nothing is going to be able to stop it. And you guys are the stewards of this message of not faith in faith, but faith in an event that has happened in history. And so I want you to take this thing forward and nothing's going to be able to stop it. And, and by the way, Peter, John, I, I probably shouldn't tell you this. You're, it's not going to go well for you most of the time. You're going to get beat down. You're going to get imprisoned. You're going to suffer some unbelievable atrocities. And the reason you're going to suffer that is because they think that's going to be the, the key to st stamping out this movement. They think that is going to be the key to stopping this thing. But little do they know that every time that they imprison you, every time they whip you, every time they try to silence the movement, the movement is going to explode. The opposite's going to happen. And right before this, Peter and John were put into prison, and then they get out of prison, and then they just keep doing their thing. And thousands of people just keep following Jesus and putting their faith and trust in a resurrected Christ. And I imagine Jesus on the hillside giving a heads up to the rest of the guys. Hey, all of you, actually, not just Peter and John, probably shouldn't tell you this either because you may not even do anything beyond this moment on this hillside. But you're, you're going to face persecution as well. You're going to be imprisoned. You're going to be beat down. But don't worry. I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you the power that you need. And rather than your 
persecution stopping this movement. The movement is going to explode like you have never seen. This movement is going to move into every corner. And so several months, several weeks after Jesus predicting all of this, exactly what Jesus said would happen is happening. And the Holy Spirit comes and it invades people and they move from Jerusalem and thousands of people are putting their faith and trust in a resurrected Jesus. And then it goes off the rails. It took all of six months for the church to get distracted and start to move away from their focus because it says this, the number of disciples was increasing and then the second part of verse one, but the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, which is so weird because this never happens in church world today. They were so different back in the day. I don't like how you sign in the kids. I didn't like that song. Your message was way too long. I, I, don't, I can't believe she ignored me. I, I cannot stand her, so I'm going to go to the 12 o'clock service. Like, it's so weird because this never, ha- like, can we just be honest for a second? Like, legitimately, this kind of thing is exactly why some of you, maybe you're not in the house, maybe you're just watching right now online. That's the reason you're watching online. This, this is the reason why some of you walked away from the church. This is the reason why some of you walked away from the Jesus thing. And by the way, every church is a mess. There can be healthy messes, I think, and unhealthy messes. And so you want to be a, a closer to a healthy mess that's focused on Jesus. But we're all a mess. It's why early on when we were thinking about, okay, what would God have for us as a church? Our mission statement was simple. It's pretty much the mission statement of every church to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. But then we created kind of, it's called a strategy statement, but it's more uh, an accountability statement. It's more a, hey, when we start to go off the rails statement, and the statement was just this, is that we would create churches that would work, that would be accountable around tearing away every unnecessary barrier to people connecting with Jesus. Because in a lot of cases, and maybe this is your story, you walked away, but the barrier wasn't Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is a barrier. And we can't do anything about that because we believe that this is the epicenter of our message and hope in life is only found in him. So we'll let Jesus be the barrier, but we need to make sure that nothing else unnecessarily gets in the way where you walk away from the church and subsequently you walk away from Jesus, but the barrier wasn't Jesus. The barrier was a leader or, or somebody who cared more about their brand than the mission of Jesus. Or it was you not feeling welcomed and accessible. You not feeling like the church was a place where you could doubt or struggle. Or maybe it was what happened to your divorced parents. Or maybe it was something in in terms of how the church dealt with your mental illness. Maybe it was some of your own baggage that you didn't work through. But my point is, it was unnecessary. And so one of the things for us as kind of a guiding North Star is to do everything we can to remove every unnecessary barrier so that Jesus can take center stage. And six months after the Jesus movement gets going and thousands of people are turning to him, they already start to get distracted and the Hellenistic Jews are complaining against the Hebraic Jews. And then it it goes on, it says this. They're complaining against the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews are basically like the Greek-speaking Jews. They lived in another part During the Passover, most likely, they came back to Passover to celebrate this ancient ceremony, remembering what what God had done to deliver the ancient Jews. And when they got there, many of these Greek-speaking or Hellenistic Jews began to follow Jesus. And so what they did is they just stayed in the city, but they're not really the locals. They're not really the natives. The Hebraic Jews are the Aramaic-speaking locals. Like, they know the culture. They know the deal. And so most likely, some of this may have been a language barrier. But they start complaining against each other because the Hellenistic Jews, their widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. In the first century, with where Jesus' followers were at and with Rome and with everything that was happening happening politically, they had to share their resources out of necessity. And so there they are and somebody's getting overlooked and you have the first church problem. And the first church problem was really this, and you'll find this out in a second, is that 
that there was something that needed to be done, but there wasn't enough people to do it. And so here's how the narrative continues in Acts chapter 6. It says, verse 2, so the 12, this is the apostles, this is the 12, and then the disciples, as it refers to here, are really the larger number of people who are just beginning to follow Jesus, not the 12. So the 12 apostles gathered all of the disciples, the larger group of followers, together and said, this is the first um, church business meeting, mind-numbing. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not pitting one role against the other. He's not saying one's more important than the other. He's saying that if you don't step up and play your part, something is going to be neglected. Basically, people need to be served And people need to hear about and encounter the hope and light that is found in Jesus. And both of those things go hand in hand. So he says this, verse 3. Okay, what's, what's your solution, guys? Brothers and sisters, or Jesus followers, choose seven men from among you that are a part of this gathering, have rooted themselves to this local community. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, And we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Basically, they're saying this, listen, we're gonna be responsible for what we're responsible for, for what God has called us to, to what our unique calling is on our life. And we need you to be responsible for what you're responsible for, for what you've been called to. And here's the bigger picture that Paul is going to come along and write about a couple years later is that, listen, every single one of you that are in Ephesus, that are in Rome, that are in Corinth, that are sitting here 2,000 years later, the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, you become a part of something new. You become a part of God's family. You're a son, you're a daughter of God, but you are also, whether you want it or not, a card-carrying member of the church, of this movement, of this ecclesia, and you play a role not just globally, You've been called to play a role specifically that literally you are, it's part of your identity, you are the church. And so you you have a calling, you have a role. You've been called to raise your kids, you've been called to move industry forward, maybe you've been called to something in art and entertainment, you've been called to be a husband, you've been called to be a wife, but you have also been called to play a role in this movement called the church if you're a follower of Jesus. And they're like, listen, God, we need you to take up your responsibility. We need you to do what you've been called to do. Paul, a couple years after this, gives us this picture. I love this, writing to the church in Ephesus Ephesians 4, 16, and he gives the the word picture of like a body, and he says this, from him, that's Jesus, the whole body is joined and is held together by every supporting ligament. That's you. That's me. There's a body, there's ligaments. Many times they're unknown. Many times they're not out front. Many times you don't even know how how much they are necessary to the overall body. But every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in, what's the word? One more time, didn't hear you. Builds itself up in what? As each part does its work. And then Paul writes this in verse 21. In him, that's Jesus. I love this. The whole building, and not a building like in terms of brick and mortar, but a people, a body, the whole building, the whole house is joined together. In the Greek, it means skillfully fit together. It means, in the Greek, strategically placed, meaning nothing is unnecessary, nothing is random. That the whole body is joined together and rises, it's a growing movement, to become a holy temple in the Lord. Paul's going, listen, every single supporting ligament, when it plays its part, allows somebody else to play their part. And the movement moves, the body rises, people are impacted. You may just think you're waiting tables, but it's way bigger than that. And then he says this, so verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group, which that's a miracle in itself. And they chose Stephen, who got his start by waiting tables, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, 
And then I love this. This, this is the result. This is what happened. Verse 7. So everyone was well fed and stopped complaining. That's not what it says. Because we know that's not true. This is still happening 2,000 years later. So it didn't end there. It had nothing to do. It had nothing to do with them feeding the widows. It has nothing to do with parking cars. It has nothing to do with greeting people. It has nothing to do with babysitting kids. The end result, what happened, what moved, what was impacted, had nothing to do with the role. It had nothing to do with what they were actually doing with their hands. It had nothing to do with the position. It was much bigger than that. Verse 7, he kind of connects the dots for us. The word of God, the word of God spread. The, the message of hope, the gospel referred to as the good news, people embraced it. Individuals were moved to the edge to realize this is true. People looked up and realized that what these people and who these people were following was legit. The word of God, hope, forgiveness, life, that there was something that happened in history, a resurrection that connected the dots and said there is purpose and randomness. God is doing something. It is not just this thing where it's thrown out and, and nobody's really involved and God's kind of back at some level where he doesn't really know what's happening, is not really clued in. Instead, something has happened in history. There's a resurrected Christ. It brings purpose to everything, and he is offering a relationship with him. And that word, that gospel, that good news, it spread. And the number of disciples, Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, I love this, increased rapidly. Because you fed some widows? No, 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 no. Because we realize that we're a supporting ligament in the household of God. And when we do our part, someone else is able to do their part. And the God of the universe breathes life and power into that. And the end result is not about what happens. It's about this thing that takes place where people begin to move toward Jesus and begin to follow Jesus. And his message and his hope for life begins to spread and move forward. And the movement expands, and a large number of priests, enemies, some of the same guys who actually had Jesus crucified, looked at what was happening in these churches, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Sometimes I wonder, as I read the New Testament, as I study history, why this thing that is a movement, whether you've experienced that in the past or not, this thing called the church, the body of Christ, also referred to as the bride of Christ, why this movement doesn't look more like a movement. So can I just connect a couple dots for you? And I can't connect every dot, but I just wanna connect these couple dots because I think in so many cases, we lose sight of what really hangs in the balance. And I think we lose sight of what is really at stake. And you just need to know, next slide, that when we don't play our part, the result is not that something is neglected. The result is that someone is neglected. When we don't assume our role, when we don't step into what God has called us and called you to do, what God has called you to, to play, when you don't assume your role knowing that you are skillfully fit, that you have been strategically placed, it is not that something is neglected. It's not about, well, I, I don't even know that's a big deal. Anybody could do that. I don't even know why we do that. I don't even know that's why that's a ministry here. I don't know why that's life-changing, earth-shattering. I don't know why that's going to move anybody into relationship with their Savior. Is because you don't understand the function of the church, and it's never about a role. It's never about a position. It's never about a ministry area. When we don't play our part, because by the God of the universe, whether you believe this or not, you have been strategically placed. You have been skillfully fit. There are some needs that may not be met without you. There are some stories that will not be related to without you. There are some things that God has given you a stewardship of in the lives of other people. And it, what they need and what God wants to do in their life may not happen without you. And when we don't play our part, it is not that something is neglected. It is that someone is always neglected. 
Someone suffers. Someone is not reached. Someone is not impacted. And Jesus says, listen, if you want to know what my whole movement is about, we talk about this a lot. It's about loving me and you love me by loving other people. And my plan A, as the church gathers and as the church scatters, my plan A for this message that something has happened in history is the church. You have been called to go out into the city and you've been called to bring the city in. And both of those things are what you have been called to do in your neighborhood and in your county and in your city and in your state. And when you play your part and when you root in a local community, God does something. It is all about people. It is not about a role. It is not about a position. It is not about a ministry. It is, I'm going to step in to what God has called me to. And if I don't fully know what God has called me to, here's what I do know. He's called me to be a supporting ligament. So I'm going to do something and then I'm going to allow God to direct me. And when I do that, it allows somebody else to do what God has called them to do. And the movement spreads because the movement will not be contained in a building. And the end result is not that somebody was babysat in a circle. The result is that the word of God, the message of the gospel, people encountering hope and life in Jesus is what ultimately takes place. And we've been called to play our part. And I think if we do, even, even people who are resistant to the message, even people who don't believe, even people who have questions about faith would come to the edges of our communities and go, there is something different about those people. Look how they serve one another. That even, even the priests, even the enemies of the faith would move to a place to place their faith and trust in Christ. So can I just give you a couple things and we're going to close. And can I just be really, really direct? And if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to listen to any of this. But if you are a Jesus follower, if you're somebody who said, man, I've placed my faith and trust in Christ. And you're rooted in this community. And, and if you're not, then find a community that you can get rooted to. Can I just give you a couple really specific things to wrap your mind around this and just be really, really direct. And the first one is just this. For us to consume and not contribute is the height of selfishness. Like, I've heard it said this way years ago, is that when you don't play your part, something is missing because you have been strategically placed. You are a part of this body. You are a supporting ligament. And when you don't play your part, something is missing. And when you don't play your part, you are missing something because it is a part of your purpose. And for us to consume and to contribute is the height ultimately of selfishness. And it is so dangerous because eventually self-centered Christians lead to self-centered churches. And self-centered people hurt people. Almost every church hurt, or maybe the reason why you walked away from the church was not style, it was not methodology, and it was not a denomination. I just want to tell you that. The root of it all started from this. You consume and not contribute long enough, you become self-centered, and eventually you will create an environment that is us for and no more, and you will hurt people. And Jesus says, not in my ecclesia, not in my movement, you have been called to serve. And, and come, if I can just steal a line from Kevin Myers, the purpose of the church is to make you a waiter, not to keep you as a customer. I'm not done. Can I give you two more? For us to know what is at stake and still do nothing is the height of apathy. And can I just say, man, some of you, you you've served faithfully in years past. You've connected in churches and you've allowed God to use your life and you, you did it with passion. And now I think that you're at a place where you just think you've put in your time and you can just put your feet up and you are straight chilling. Like you come and sit and you go your way and you point to what you did in the past, not recognizing the fact that there is a generation of people and there are neighborhoods where individuals are dying without hope and life in Christ. And here you are moving toward country club version of the church and you are so apathetic and you hide behind somebody. Well, I'm a prayer warrior. That's amazing. Well, I just, I just give money. That's amazing. You need to get your hands dirty. Sometimes it's easy to write checks and go into a prayer closet. It is much more difficult to engage with people and to sacrifice and to give part of your life away. 
And can I just tell you in love that maybe this is the starting place for you, is that you need to walk out and you need to get some time by yourself and you need to plead with God to help you care again. Because if we were to look at your life, if everybody within the church was doing what you were doing, there would be no influence in culture. There would be no influence in neighborhoods. And I think that you've forgotten what hangs in the balance. I've got one more, and then I'm going to be done. For us to diminish any role is the height of arrogance. Like, you're not bringing anything to the table. It's not your power that's going to change any life. It's not about a role. It's not about a position. It's not about some specific area of ministry. You don't bring any power to the table. It is God taking what you bring and breathing power through it to change lives and to lead people to encounter the gospel. It's why within the gathering of believers, there is nothing that is insignificant because God will take you and he will use you as a conduit for his power if you will simply surrender what you have. And for us to diminish anything is to not understand what God has put together, that we're a body, that we are supporting ligaments, that we are skillfully placed together. It's why I've told you so many times as a church, nobody, nobody is simply babysitting kids. We are anchoring the gospel of grace and hope in Christ and we are loving them and we are listening to them so that when we present the fact that they have a heavenly father who loves them, they are leaning in and we make it easy for them to believe that that's true. We are not tolerating students. We are letting students know that God's grace is bigger and can swallow up anything from their past because there's gonna be a day in their journey where they need to know that and we're letting them know that Jesus can bear up under the weight of their questions, their doubts, and their skepticism. We do not tolerate students. We raise up a generation of culture shapers. We we do not park cars in the parking lot. We encounter people and we try to, with everything we do, to answer the one question that everybody's asking that I've said so many times. Do you care Do you care? Do you care? I don't really care what you believe right now. I don't care about your theology. I don't care about your style of music. Do you care? We do not just greet people and smile and shake hands. How demeaning. We encounter people who walk in with weights that you have no idea about. Weights of stage four cancer and a kid that walked out and a marriage that is crumbling and a bout with mental illness that they've told nobody about. And we, in a tangible way, let them know we care, we hear you. There is a savior that offers hope and you may not be getting that anywhere else, but you should get that in the church of Jesus Christ. And, and come on, we're not sitting in circles. And simply eating snacks and calling it community groups. We're letting dads know that there is a way to get victory over a deep porn addiction. There is a way forward. Because Jesus walked out of a grave, it means we can have freedom over sin. It means that your marriage is hanging on by a thread. And we just want you to know because we serve a resurrected Christ, there is hope to revive that marriage. We're creating cultures where it is okay to not be okay because God's love is relentless and it is unending and it never runs out. And by the way, he can lead you to a place to be okay. And we do it all because of one name and it is not the name of Centerpoint, it's not the name of me and it is not the name of you. It is the name of Jesus because in that name there is purpose and there is forgiveness and there is reconciliation and there is restoration and I am telling you, there is power to bring revival to our cities and our communities. But it's up to you. You are a conduit for his power. I just want to let you in. It is not up to me by myself. It is not up to our staff. In fact, we are simply equippers of people to move out and do the work of ministry in their cities and then gather together and invite people in and play a role and play a part. And God does something significant through that. Paul said it several thousand years ago. You may think we've gotten to a place in 2018 where this doesn't work. It works. For whatever reason, God has designated to use the foolishness of preaching, to quote Paul, to change hearts and lives, to gather together to worship corporately where there is a special manifestation of 
of his spirit and people are drawn to the gospel and you need to play your part well because it is about people. And so, I need to be done. But what is it worth to you? What's it worth to you? And for a lot of you, and I say this in love, hopefully we're friends if we know each other. If we were to look at your life, we'd say, not much. A better question. Who's it worth to you? Who's it worth to you? I met a guy about a year and a half ago, and we started a friendship. And we're just friends for a while, just developing a relationship. I try to not let people know that I'm a pastor as long as I possibly can. I'm a teacher of life skills. Um, but got to know him and developed a relationship. And, and eventually, um, my wife and I went out with him and his girl as couples. And um, it just kind of naturally happened where he started to open up about kind of where he was at with the whole God thing. And, and I think there's like a real, real searching. And, you know, maybe I'm there, but I'm not sure if I'm there because of these doubts. And, but, man, he wants to know Jesus and then he also started recounting to me the fact that his single mom was, man, she was hurt really, really bad by the church, which unfortunately happens in some cases. So he has a lot of baggage, felt like, and I tend to agree with him, that she was manipulated and, and in some ways abused. And so he has so much stuff to work through. And as we've talked, man, it just, as you develop personal relationships, something rises up inside of you. And as you begin to pray for that person and you know every detail of their struggle, it just gets so emotional. And I can just tell you, every weekend when I show up, I have him in mind. And for so many of you, you, you have a story of you sat in a circle and in that circle, it was that person out of nowhere that God connected with your life and it changed everything for you. Or you showed up and you had some baggage that you had been carrying and dealing with. And, and the way that you were met, the way that you were treated, the way that somebody connected with you, it started to change everything in terms of your view of Jesus. Because in many cases, people's relationship with Jesus starts with a relationship with one of his followers. And so what, what's it worth to you? Who's it worth to you? And, and I, listen, I know that it's going to cost you something. I love the story of people like Chuck and Leola. She travels 40 weeks a year and they show up almost every single weekend and take a big portion of their Sundays and they serve on our usher teams. And if you were to ask them, hey, is it worth it? They would tell you absolutely it's worth it. And what God has done through our lives is phenomenal. What, what is it worth to you and who is it worth to you? Because everything we're talking about is all about people. And so as we close, here, here's where I want to give you a very specific invitation, and then we're going to be done. I want you to serve somewhere. And, and, if, and if you just don't feel like you can serve here, then, then go somewhere else. Find a church where you can serve, and you really believe in what they're doing. If you're a longtime Jesus follower, and you're just sitting in a row, and you have no intention of serving, then, then maybe you need to find another place. Because ultimately, a bunch of self-centered Christians who come and consume and contribute and not recognize that they're waiters, I'm telling you, eventually there is a tipping point where that becomes really, really dangerous. And just filling butts and seats is not helping anybody do anything. We are a movement with the gospel, and we need everybody to play their part. So if you've got a card, I want you to grab your card right now. I want everybody in the house, just grab this card right now. It's on your chair. It's on a chair next to you. And I've got to be done, so I just want you to look at this. And I want you to, hey, th this is where I'm called to serve. If you haven't been through Next Steps yet, you need to go through Next Steps, where we really help connect you to the body of our church, let you know what we're about. We even have a part of that step three, where we help you discover your personal wiring and how God has uniquely equipped you to serve. You may discover things you've never discovered before, so you need to go through Next Steps. Start next month next week during the 1030. But begin to look. If you don't know what that is, then just pick a place. Just, hey, I'm a supporting ligament, so I'm going to support somewhere, and then I'm going to allow God to lead me. We always need help, especially with the rate of growth in our CC kids. So I, I can be a sign-in attendant. I don't even have to actually deal with kids, so I could do that. Or, man, God's calling me to invest in the lives of these kids in a circle. If you're a guy, safety or security team, facilities team is an easy way to start for you. We have, if you're artistic, if you're 
uh, information technology related. There's areas in production and worship, but there is an area for you. And if you're not doing anything, you need to play your part as a supporting ligament. So I want you to fill this out. I want you to drop it in one of those offering boxes, take it to the lobby. There's actually a bunch of our team leads and staff out there that can answer any questions that you have. And I want you to do it as quick as you possibly can before you talk yourself out of it. And then on, last thing on March the 8th at 6.30, we have our first ever team night. We have four of these throughout this year. And these are really important because we want to invest in you and pour into you, not because of what you do, but who you are. And so on those nights, we celebrate, we inspire, we help create team culture. We have some specific break-offs with your team so you can learn and grow together and we, we can facilitate community. Those are massive nights. And so we want you to sign up. And if you're a first-time or long-time bridge builder, make it a priority to be here that night. And we want to be as good as we possibly can with what God has called us to do. And so listen, as we close, I just want to bother you. I mean, if, if I didn't feel like it was a little bit over the top, I would pray that some of you can't sleep until you step up to take the baton and assume the role that God's calling you to. You have been invited to play a part. And I'm still as idealistic as ever. When I read the New Testament, something happens in me where I just believe that the local church on mission, this local church on mission, we can really change our neighborhoods. We're going to talk about that for the next four weeks. It'll have nothing to do with what actually we do on site. It'll have everything to do with what we do when we go into our neighborhoods. But we have the ability to change our cities, change our neighborhoods, to reach thousands of people with the gospel. Us, we could do that. If we would step up and play our part and understand we are a conduit for God to work. Because here's what you know, because maybe you were that person or you live next to that person. There is a bunch of people who are hungry. They're hungry for community. They're hungry to find a place that it is safe to struggle. They're hungry to find a place where there is answers in regard to their past and there's some kind of purpose for what they're walking through right now. They're hungry to know that they have a God who loves them and wants a relationship with them. And we have been invited to play a part and we serve a resurrected savior. And he has given us purpose and he has handed us the baton to the church in our generation and we need to steward it well. And when you don't play your part, and you may not believe this, but I'm just telling you, when you don't play your part, it is not that something is neglected. If you don't, and if you haven't played your part, it is always that someone is neglected. So let's play our part, guys. Would you pray with me all over the house? Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this incredible movement that you have left in our hands, and I really don't understand why. The church, help us to steward it well. Help us to care. Help us to be reminded again of what a resurrected Jesus should compel our lives to do. And God, help all over our services today. Help people to be moved by your spirit, not by guilt. Not, this is all grace-driven. But by just an awareness of the need that they'd, they'd want to play their part. They'd want to get involved. They'd want to serve your bride. We want to become better waiters. So God, use us. We, we pray that you'd continue to expand our dreams and our desires to impact our city and beyond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we just believe that you can do that through us. And so God, do your thing today for your glory and ultimately for our good. And we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus. Amen.